0: Mother's Day here, and it's a really special time, and I know for many of us, Mother's Day has a special place in our heart, right? Motherhood is no easy hood. Could I get an amen from the mothers? Amen. Let me hear you. Amen. Yes. Okay. Make me feel like I'm not alone up here. Um, But we wanna celebrate you and we wanna take a second and we just wanna honor you. Um, Whether you are a mother of many or a mother of few, whether you're a stepmom or you have young kids or old kids or you're a grandmother now, uh, or maybe you're a mom who's still waiting on a miracle. And I wanna lean in this morning, even in this like beginning stages of this message, and remind you the history of this house. This church was founded after two people were unable to get pregnant. And God in one fell swoop gave them both a miracle to have children, but also birthed this church we call home today. I have a really strong sense this morning um, that there are miracles in the air for mothers. I mean, there's miracles for all of you. You can pick up what we don't grab, but there are specifically some miracles for mothers this morning. Um, so if you're a mom, uh, or you're a mom still waiting for a miracle, I want you to be bold enough to just put out your hands this morning. We're just jumping right in. We jokingly called this baby ministry. Now this doesn't mean you're going to get pregnant, right? Some of us are like, praise God. Um, but it might. <laughs> it might. Uh, so if you're a mom this morning, um, I just want you to put your hands out, and we're just going to pray. And if you're around a mom with their hands out, just want you to stretch your hands towards them. Yeah. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for mothering. Jesus, we thank you that we don't have to do a single thing alone. So, Jesus, I thank you for empowering the mothers today. And for the ones who are still waiting on a miracle, Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do, which is making the impossible possible again. And all mom guilt, we just throw that out the window this morning. Jesus, we thank you that we are the perfect. Mother, for the children that you have placed in our life. So all regret, we wipe that off, and we thank you, Jesus, for your empowering presence as we do what you've called us to do, which is to raise a generation of lovers of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing our series, Heaven Now and Forever. How many of you have loved this series? Hasn't it been so good? It's been so good. I encourage you, if you've missed a single week, go back, listen, watch on YouTube. It's, it's one of my favorite series, uh, truly. And we actually are t- taking more time to unpack some of these deep questions, or at least processing through some of these questions with the podcast. How many of you have listened to the podcast? We're doing like bonus episodes where we can break down uh, the message. It's so much fun to listen to. I encourage you to listen to those. I think for me, what this series has done, it's it stretched me a little bit. It kind of brought up my somewhat lack of thought to these pressing issues, this heaven now and forever. And it's not that I don't think about it. Actually, I've given my entire life, my life's pursuit is to bring heaven, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God here on this earth. It's what I've given my life to. I, I long to see heaven's perfection here on, on this earth, here in this city, here in our youth ministry, in my own home. I long to see heaven come to earth. So much so that my, uh, I have somewhat of a lack of thought of like me leaving earth and going to heaven. You guys tracking with me? And humbly guys, this morning, what I, what I can guarantee is that I do not have all the answers. I joke, but this message has had its very fair shares of near-death experiences. Moments where I'm like, absolutely no idea if I'm able to do this. But what I am confident of this morning is that there is hope. That there is hope of this life eternal with Jesus. There is hope this morning. And when I think through the lens of heaven, some of my defining thoughts of heaven, I picked up in my childhood, right? Like, that's kind of how most things are. And I was raised in a Christian home, so like, yes, the Bible informed a lot of my beliefs. But honestly, like, when I really think about what I think about when I think about heaven, I can't remember the plot of this movie at all, but for whatever reason, my mind immediately goes to All Dogs Go to Heaven. How many of you have seen this movie? Anyone? I can't tell you a single thing about this movie, but that was my imagination of heaven. How many of you have seen the, the Christmas classic, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear? Anyone? I really need to see hands if you've seen this movie. My mom forces us to watch this movie. Okay, a lot of you haven't seen it, but grandpa dies. He has this like near-death experience. He has to go back to the earth and like right his wrongs. That's what I remember from that. Um, Maybe you've watched the recent The Good Place, right? It's like this weird depiction of the afterlife where you're like hoping eventually if you work out all your problems, you end up in the good place. Maybe you're a classic church goer. You've never seen any any of these movies that are nonsense. (laughs) And all you have context for is the absolute Christian classic production that is Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. How many of you saw that? That that production literally scared the hell out of me, like quite literally. And I'm sure in most 90s churchgoers could say the same thing. It was petrifying. My mom literally, this is a real story, guys. My mom literally had to walk me behind the stage to meet Satan so that I would know that he's not a real guy in this production and he was just a nice man acting. I love 90s church culture. It's my favorite. Maybe none of these things hit for you, but you've heard the song that later turned into a movie I could only imagine. Right? Who's heard the song, sang the song, watched the movie, right? This is a beautiful song. It's beautiful. The story behind it's beautiful, but I'm not going to lie. As a kid, Scanning the church as we sang this song, I'm looking around in absolute horror. Like, we're just all casually imagining the day we die. Like, for me, I'm like, does this not scare you at all? Like, we're singing about, like, surrounded by his glory. And I'm like, petrified inside. I'm like, I don't want to die, right? Oh, this informed a lot of my beliefs or my imagination about heaven. And honestly, guys, one of the most Googled questions is this very thing, where do I go when I die? Where do I go when I die? I think Some of us, these things have kind of informed it, right? Heaven's gates or hell's flames. Maybe you saw it on a billboard. Maybe you sat through an altar call that was like, where are you gonna go today if you die? If you were to get in a car accident on the way home from church, right? How many of you ever sat through one of those? Or you're driving casually on the highway and there's just billboards. It's like, heaven or hell? And you're like, I... Where do I go when I die? These are super, super valid questions, and that's kind of where we're gonna camp out today. This is gonna be the driving force of today's message, this question, where do I go when I die? And truly, guys, there is a level of mystery to this that is almost hard to grasp. It's almost like believing in something without fully ever knowing it kind of like the exact definition of faith, right? The assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. This is gonna stretch our faith today. And I have felt this in the preparation of the message of it stretching my faith and kind of, it's almost nerve wracking, but what we find out is that there is hope there is hope. We don't have all the descriptions. We don't have a perfectly articulated exit strategy, if you will, but what we do have is doctrine. Doctrine is this core foundational truth found in the written word of God and in the spoken word of Jesus. This is what, this is what we put our trust in. This is what we put our hope in this morning. So are we ready? Are we ready? Good. We're gonna ask a lot of questions this morning because I'm not gonna be up here just doing the questions alone. Nope, this is a full group. As a church family, we're gonna process through these things. We sit in this tension, right? We talked about this in both previous weeks. We sit in this tension of the already and the not yet. This two realities, right, that were all the way back in the garden. Heaven being perfect, and we have earth, this fallen place. This is, oh, I should have given you a jump scare because uh, it's so bright, but. We have heaven, right? And we have earth, this fallen place. All the way back in Genesis, we learn about this. And we see this where Jesus comes in and actually begins to mend this divide. This is the separation, the great chasm between the creator and his creation. This is what Mike talked about last week, that Jesus, the plan A, came into this fallen sin-filled world, and he came in and he began this restoration process, this redemption of both heaven and the earth. Jesus, this spotless, sinless, perfect man, was condemned to die a death of a criminal. The ultimate punishment where he swallowed, he swallowed all of our judgment all of our our sin, all of our shame. In this moment of him closing the chasm between creation and the creator, Jesus has a very unlikely conversation. We're gonna flip to Luke 23. I'll give you just a second. If you don't have your Bible this morning, we will have it on the screens. But we see that in in this place of this excruciating death, Jesus was actually not alone on the hill of Golgotha that day. Jesus was surrounded by two criminals, people who deserved, right? We talked about this last week, who deserved the judgment that they were given. Jesus found himself surrounded with these two people. And while Jesus is up there, willingly giving his life, let's remember the gospel here, willingly giving his life for us. They begin to mock him. The guards are like, if you're really Jesus, if you're really the Christ, why don't you save yourself? And one of these criminals actually join in on the mockery and he's like, yeah, king, why don't you come and save us? And the other criminal looks to the other criminal and he says, we deserve to be here. We're gonna pick up in verse In verse uh, 41, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, this criminal turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is a powerful moment. This this sinner has this moment, right? He deserved to be there, yet he looks at Jesus and he sees Jesus for who he rightly is as king, right? There is no kingdom without being the king. And in this moment he repents and, and Jesus has this unlikely response. It's not the response we would think, right? You would think that Jesus is like, Obviously, based on the decisions of your life, you deserve to be here, right? He could have said, you've made your cross, now die on it. He literally could have said that. But instead, this is Jesus' response. He says, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is... What is this? What is this invitation? What is what is Jesus saying here? Maybe you've read this before and you've kind of interchanged this word paradise for heaven, right? Today you will see you will be with me in heaven. And I wouldn't say that's necessarily wrong, but Jesus specifically says, "Today you will be with me in paradise." So the first question we have this morning is what is paradise? Did he like misspeak? No. Jesus was intentional with every word, and Jesus's invitation was to paradise, and maybe when I said paradise, you have something that clicks in your mind, right? I jokingly said on the podcast that it was like uh, some sort of uh, screensaver, right? Uh, Maybe for you, uh, it's an all-inclusive resort. Paradise? To a sandals resort. All I think about is the office when I say sandals resort, but Maybe for the moms with young kids, it's a bathroom trip alone, right? It's paradise. The thought of it, it's so distant, but it sounds so good. Maybe for some of the graduates, it's the final, final, finally being done, right? Amen? Most of them are at graduation right now. But what is this word paradise? Why is this invitation so specific? Now, we don't talk about paradise a lot, but what What we do know is that the Bible does mention it. The Bible does mention uh, this fading away of the old heaven and the old earth. Um, We believe, and we often say here, that the cross was a smashing success, that the cross did everything it intended to, which is full redemption, that it's redeeming us completely. Remember, swallowing all of our judgment and all of our shame. The cross was a smashing success. And now as sons and daughters of God, we live in this righteous place of being made holy by the sacrifice of Jesus. Guys, this is really good news for us. This means that we don't hold on to the belief that there's a period of cleansing. Now we're gonna get into this more next week. Thank God for die. right? Amen, amen, amen. Everyone who's preached in this series, we're like, okay, die. your turn. But we'll talk about that next week, but, but he makes this invitation so specific. And I, I wanna propose this morning that paradise is a heaven 1.0. It's, it's a first version of heaven without the full redemptive plan of this new heaven and new earth. And the Bible actually talks about this in Hebrews 1.10. It says, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens were the work of your hand. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. So this verse not only tells us there's a heaven 1.0 and an earth 1.0, the place we live in now, but that these things will actually fade away, but Jesus never fades away. Your presence remains the same. We believe that paradise is a place where Christians go when they die. But this isn't our forever home. This isn't the final spot, right? It says that the heavens and the earth will fade away. So this brings us to the question, when in the grand scheme of all of life, when is this invitation to paradise? We, again, guys, humbly, we do not have all the answers. But when we begin to do like a word study in the Bible about this invitation to paradise? These are some of the questions that begin to pop up. Paradise, before it was translated into English, just means uh, paradisio in Greek, which is translated to garden. And many people would understand, hearing Jesus talk about paradise or even the reference to paradise, would understand this to be the garden, right? What we talked about week one. Garden of Eden, where there was no separation between man and God. where where life was lived to its fullest, this was the Garden of Eden, the intent that God had for his people. And this is found all the way at the beginning of the Bible story in Genesis, at the foundation of the earth. So here's the question this morning. Is Jesus inviting the criminal on the cross to join him in the past, at the beginning of the Bible story? Is he saying, let's like back to the future, right? It's a little bit of weird future tripping to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Is that the paradise he's inviting him to? Okay, you guys are tracking. But in Luke, he says, join me today in paradise. Is this like later today, immediate future? Is he inviting them to the past, right? Or this later today, immediate future? We like our options right now? Can you see why I wrestled with this message? But wait, we have more options. This is brought up again in Revelations 21. John, on the Greek island of Patmos, and if you didn't read your Bible, that sounds like a Star Wars place. Like, when I read that, it sounds like it belongs in Star Wars, but he has this moment. He has this moment in Revelations 21, right? We've read this in this series as well. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, heaven 1.0, and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as the bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, that's my best God voice, sorry. Behold, I don't know. (laughs) Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Hmm. John goes on to describe in detail this new garden city with its very defining features as what you find in the Garden of Eden. So John has this vision where he sees the new heaven come and the new earth So is paradise in the like future, future, like eternal end game future? Because this is what John is describing. So here are our options. (laughs) In the grand scheme of things, is paradise in the past? Is paradise in this immediate, like I'll meet you later today future, like Jesus talked to the criminal? Or is paradise, In this future, future, new heaven, new earth, is that the invitation? You guys tracking with me? You're with me? I like to say to the youth, are we living, are we laughing, are we loving? They love that, they think it's funny. Well, I think they think it's funny and that's all that matters. It's kind of confusing, right? It's kind of confusing. And if we didn't have enough options, we have one more we see this paradise word referenced again. Paul was mysteriously once caught up into this place of paradise. I love how he tells his account. I feel this so deeply. As I wrestle with this message, I feel this so, so very deeply, right? 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I know a man in Christ. Now, I don't know why Paul has to be confusing right off the jump. This is already a confusing topic. Paul is talking about himself, Paul. He says, I know a man in Christ, Paul, just say I once, right? Just like break it down a little easier. He says, I know a man in Christ once 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know, but God knows. I love that. I'm like, I don't know, but God knows. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into, read that with me, paradise. Interesting, whether in the body or out of the body. Uh, I don't know. God knows. I love that. Thank you, Paul, for making that normal in this message. So we have this account of Paul being mysteriously caught up into this place of paradise. So here we are again. When is paradise? Is paradise in the past, like the Garden of Eden, all the way back at the beginning of the Bible? Or is paradise this invitation to the immediate, like I'll see you later today, future, that Jesus invites the criminal? Or is paradise like what John sees, this end game, future, future, new heaven, new earth? Or is there an element of paradise that you can be mysteriously caught up into today, in the now? I want to propose this morning that the answer to these deep theological questions and all of these mysteries is yes. <laughs> yes, right? Well, just, yes. Because as we read, there's elements of this paradise realm in all of these. Now we said that paradise is a place we go when we die, but there's elements of paradise that can actually be strung through all of these realities, right? In the past, in the later today, future, in the future, future, end game, and also elements of paradise in the now. I had this uh, prayer appointment a while ago. Prayer appointment, if you didn't know church lingo, that's a kind way of saying deliverance, um, which I would like to completely normalize deliverance, right? We all need to be rescued from something. And I realized as I was parenting, as I was mothering, I had a real fear of death. This question, where do I go when I die? Forget about the location, I was just scared to die. And when I realized that this isn't actually the way that God intended me to live my life, I ran into my deliverance. I ran into my prayer appointment. And during this prayer appointment, I had this moment where I realized, I said yes to Jesus at a really young age. I was a little kid when I said yes to him. I trusted Jesus with my life, for sure. I'd given it to him long, long time ago. But my death, my death was something that I held, white knuckled, scared petrified of the day that I die. Not because I didn't know Jesus, but just the thought of leaving earth is scary, right? Like, this is why it's the most Googled question, right? Am I, you Google, like, do I have a headache or are these the early signs of my death, right? Like, we've all been there, we've all been there. It's scary, it's scary. And in this moment, I had this breakthrough moment where I handed back to Jesus, the rightful owner of my life, Yes, but also my death and every day in between. He can be trusted. He has good future for you. He has a place that is indescribably beautiful, indescribably better than this life we could ever live. This is the invitation that Jesus has for us. This closeness, this trust of giving him your life, yes, but also your death in every day in between. As I'm wrestling through all the questions, right? It just absolutely bogged down. Again, I joke, but seriously, and Julie can attest, this message had its own near-death experience multiple times. I'm like, I don't know. And I was, you know, processing in the only place I have even remote clarity of thought because there's childcare at the gym. Um, I'm walking on the treadmill and I have this moment of clarity as I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, like you're the revealer of Jesus, right? Reveal what these scriptures are saying. Like, is it here? Is it there? Is it when, where, who, what? Help. I had this moment with Jesus. And before I could even get the question out, before I could even really vocalize, this question, I wanna propose today that maybe we've asked the wrong question. Maybe I led you through the wrong questions. Maybe wrong is too harsh of a word, but what if there's a better question today? What if it's never supposed to be boiled down to the what and when and where is paradise? What if there's a better question? What if the question was, and this is the question that I asked Jesus at the gym. Jesus, is the focus you? Jesus, is is the focus of paradise you? Is the focus of all these questions your presence? I began sobbing. Guys, it's like the room flipped upside down and I could see clearly. Of course, Of course, all of this revolves around Jesus. Jesus is the reward. He is the end game. He is the past. He is the immediate future. He is the now. And guys, the good news is he is the future future. Jesus is the end game. The focus was never supposed to be about when and where. It's always about who will I be with. Right, guys? And if that's the question, that's easily answered. Luke 23, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. He is the central piece. He is the thing that weaves together all of these different realities. Jesus actually, the night before his crucifixion, he tells his disciples, he reminds them of this very reality. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me also. There is more enough room for me in my father's house, right? It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. That's not in there, but it matters. It matters. If it weren't so, I would not have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you, right? He has crafted out, he has made way where there was no way, in the middle of where we should be judged, where we should be hanging on the cross. Jesus paved a way for us to meet with him. I will come get you so that you will be with me where I am. This is the good news, that we can trust Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, with our life, yes but also our death and every day in between. He is in the now and he is in the forever. This is wildly exciting news guys, because this means that paradise, yes, is the place that Christians who have given their life to Jesus go when they die, but we have the same access to the presence and power of what is dwelling in paradise, Jesus dwelling in paradise today. This is beautiful, this is the invitation. Okay, as I was preparing uh, for this message, I read this super fascinating book. It's called Imagine Heaven, and it's these stories, these NDE, these near-death experience stories, um, that he spent 35 years writing this book. He specifically talked about stories, he interviewed people with stories that had nothing to gain with sharing them, right? There was no book deals, he talked to a lot of kids, right? who don't have anything to lose. He also talked to like neurosurgeons. There's a whole chapter in there about like skeptic doctors, right? These experiences are wild. When you read the book, they're absolutely wild. And I don't have time to properly go into all of them today, but one of the stories we're gonna look at is this story of Dale Black. Now, Dale Black was a TWA airline pilot, okay? Um, He also had like, multiple multi-million dollar businesses in the aircraft industry. Um, And he had a, oh, I have to figure out what his uh, neuro, neuro, I should have like phonetically spelled this. Um, It's so smart, his PhD is so smart that it's hard for me to say, okay? (laughs) Aeronomically engineering. And he had a lot, a lot of money because he had a lot, a lot of businesses, okay? This guy had nothing to gain from sharing this story. In fact, he had everything to lose. He was involved in an aircraft uh, crash outside of a Burbank airport. Everybody died, including him, upon impact. He had this near-death experience and he describes his entrance into paradise. He describes this beautiful garden city. These are his words, you can read it in the book. beautiful garden city city, and all of the elements, the grass, the sounds, the music. When people describe their time in these near-death experiences, they talk about like every sense. All five senses were engaged in this place, yet five senses were not enough to fully grasp how beautiful and majestic and amazing this place is. We're gonna listen to Dale tell his story. And this is at the very, very end, after he has somewhat of a tour through paradise. And this is the very last moment of his near-death experience.
1: You, did you see life? Jesus? Later, I did. That was the last thing that happened after going through the city and asking questions and going through at the very last moment, I had been ushered closer and closer toward the light, toward the light, toward the light. The light that's in the center, center of the city. Yeah, and then there was a stairway Uh, that was near the glass sea, which it looked like a sea, and a stairway that went up, and a large angel with the most uh, power, if we would say that. And it was clear that he was basically in charge of that stairway. And uh, I just began to communicate. Uh, to this angel heart to heart. Again, it's hard to say, did we talk? It seemed like it, but then it seemed like we didn't. This communication was, was just impeccably pure. And I began to recognize I can't go up there. I can't go up. I, I can't go up and still go back. And I was thinking, go back. Go back, what, what, what do we mean? What's that mean? And as soon as I'm thinking, go back, the angel moved just to the side. But I looked into the eyes of the warmest, kindest, most wonderful. I knew this was the son of God. I knew this was my savior. And all of a sudden my knees buckled, my legs lost their strength and I just went down. I couldn't stand. I was, I was not worthy this. <sighs> I was not worthy to stand in his presence. Funny that I didn't feel worthy to be in heaven, yet I knew I was worthy in the early part. I was somehow given this, granted this authority, but I had this supernatural uh, gift that I was worthy. Somebody had done something for me. He had. Yes. And so I'm down on my, just falling down, and I see his feet, and I grab them, and I hold his feet, and I see the scars. And I know this is the Son of God. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. It is because of him. He died for everybody. It's so cool, because the Bible even says, no, I just take that back. Jesus said that uh, I have come not to condemn the world, but that the world through me will be saved. And it was because of that. He was, he's not condemning anybody. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life, what sins you've done, including murder. It doesn't matter what you've done. All of it is, re, is forgivable. God can forgive anybody of anything. And then we have this free gift that we call salvation you and i know that and that's what you felt and at that's his of feet like. i just but to describe this experience i just stopped at his feet and and i was worshiping him in down on the ground there and i heard the voice dale do you love me <laughs> that's it do you love me mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think of all these words to say. And I'm getting ready to say, in a sense, I'm getting ready to say, but I've said nothing. And I'm getting ready to say, of course I love you, Lord. I remember who you are, what you do. I'm getting ready to say that. And he bends down and whispers into my ear. And I'm now back
0: what a story do you love me do you love me you can see it in dale's eyes and you can hear it in his voice and now he was a believer with this experience he he loved jesus before he died and he has this experience he knows of what jesus has done yet he's shocked that he would do this for him. He he knew he was unworthy, but Jesus carved out this place for him there. And Jesus's question, do you love me? Dale talks about like his landing into heaven and he describes it as utterly holy. Utterly holy. Jesus was the central piece of Dale's NDE. It, It was Jesus. He talked about the light all drawing to this central light that is, it is Jesus. As we wrap up today, I hope that we feel stretched. I hope that we have a hope for the future, but more important guys, I hope we know the one who holds our future. I hope we know Jesus. I hope this morning we've fallen in love with Jesus in a new way. It is Jesus. He is the reward. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 5. He who has prepared us a very good thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Guys, we have a guarantee of this kingdom in the Holy Spirit. This is amazing. So we always of good courage know that while we are here at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? Not by sight, for we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We make it our aim to please him, Jesus heaven now and forever. This is important. This is the power of the gospel. We're gonna finish with verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, the one that died for all therefore have died. And he died for all that whom may we live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake has died and was raised. This is the invitation. This is the invitation of the gospel, that Jesus's presence is the central piece of our life here on earth, but also now and forever. It is Jesus. Man, we love you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that this is the reality, that you are the rightful owner of our life and our death and every day in between, and you invite us to this perfectly holy place We say thank you to you, Jesus. We worship you in the same way Dale talks about. God, let us fall to your feet this morning and bring you praise. You are worthy of it all in Jesus' name, amen.